Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. I found some really uh, fun, amazing audio that'll make you shake your head from the mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson. That might very well be my audio cut of the day. Ooh. I will telegraph that for a little bit later in this hour. Also, Dr. Mark Siegel is going to drop by for a visit. Fox News Chief Medical Correspondent. We're going to talk about the uh, the Chiefs fans who were found dead in the backyard a few weeks ago. We'll um, have Dr. Siegel weigh in on that and a couple of other things that are happening in the world of medicine. Speaking of doctors, Bob Onder is here, former Missouri State Senator who has now gotten in the race for the 3rd Congressional District. Is it kind of like um, Jill Biden, Bob, where I have to say Dr. Bob Onder? Because that's typically not the case. You don't demand that, right, like Dr. Bob Jill fine. does. Bob is fine. <laughs> How are you, Bob? I'm doing great. Great to be back, Mark. Good to see you. You know, it's funny. I don't know why. You know how your memory kind of creates uh, different things. And I, I have this memory carved out, and I don't even know what the hell we were talking about. But I remember it was in my other house, and I was in the basement. And you and I were involved in some deep conversation probably about 10 years ago about yes. some issue that was going on in Who the Missouri knows, legislature. maybe more recently about COVID. Yeah. It could have been about yeah, that we, as well. We've talked before, for sure. Well, what what has gotten you into, let, let's kind of play connect the dots here a little bit. You were in the, I can't remember, Bob, were you a, a state house member too before Senate? Yeah, I spent a couple of years in the state house and eight years in the Missouri Senate. And uh, Term the, limited out. Uh, term limited out. They swore in my replacement in January of 2023, Nick Shore, uh, out that in St. Uh, Charles County. That guy, he's a troublemaker. We he can't, is a we, great guy. He's no, a great guy. We love guy. Nick. He's a good participant on our Reardon Roundtable, for sure. So you originally, though, we're kind of curious about a statewide race, right? Yeah, was that's lieutenant right. governor? That's right. Yeah, I was a leader in the Missouri Senate, a conservative leader for eight years, and I gave serious thought about continuing service in state government as lieutenant governor. Uh, but then, of course, the retirement of Blaine Lukemeyer, my congressman, uh, made me think and the, my family uh, reflect and pray about how we could best serve. And honestly, we, we decided that that was in the congressional race because Washington, D.C. is a mess. Our country is in a state of crisis, and it's due to poor leadership on the federal level. So Washington has created a lot of problems that only Washington can fix. It's a mess. There's no doubt about that. No now, doubt. were you also going to run for St. Charles County Executive as well? Your I, name I was mentioned at, I in connection with yeah, that. Yeah, I looked at that race. You know, uh, you know, unlike our unlike our country, uh, St. Charles County is in pretty good shape. I had some pretty serious policy differences with the uh, county executive over COVID especially 
student quarantines, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. But you know what? By the time it came to really begin the race in earnest, um, that that crisis was pretty much over. It's hard to argue with the success of St. Charles County, so I took a pass at that race. So this is um, kind of stating the 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 obvious. Here. This is a bit of a weird district, the way that it's carved out. And one thing that I've discovered, a couple of things, and I'll ask you, and I really don't know the answer. Yeah. You don't have to technically live in the district. Yeah, right? that's right. Do yeah, you right. live in the district? Yeah, I'm a little bit outside the district. So the way I put it, everyone I, seems to be just a little bit. Yeah, outside. Th- that's right. I, I practiced medicine in the district for 30 years. I lived there for 21 years. I um, represented uh, the district. The, uh, almost all uh, uh, my Senate district was in the district for a decade, um, and um, I'm, I just moved out a couple of months ago to Augusta, Missouri. Oh, really? So yeah, we're beautiful very, cl- very close by. Beautiful down there with John Lamping. I know. Senator <laughs> Lamping's got a great place down and there. And so yeah, and so yeah, I have very strong ties to the district. Uh, St. Charles County is about one third of the entire congressional district. Uh, I'm very well known out there, and um, they, I, you know, I think this is uh, this is a very, uh, it's yeah, it's a sprawling district. Goes all the way to uh, Montauk County, Boone County, Columbia, yeah. Jeff City, all the way down to the lake, a little bit of Camden County. Um, big district, um, but I think, you know, uh, someone from our region, from St. Charles County, is well positioned. Bob Onder is here. He's running for Congress in the 3rd District. I want to come back to all of that discussion in a second, but this is all related because I would love your thoughts on what's happening right now in the dysfunctional Missouri Senate with the Freedom Caucus, sure. of which I would expect that you, Bob, if you were in the Senate right now, you'd probably be leading the charge. You'd be a member of the Freedom Caucus. So from from your perspective, what's happening? Because yeah. obviously this gets broken down in, um, you know, the chaos caucus versus the establishment. I'm guessing you might break it down a little bit in that direction, but what's your take right now as an outsider to a certain extent? Well, yeah, I was one of the co-founders of the original conservative caucus. Now I'm, they're calling me an emeritus member of the uh, Freedom Caucus. You know, when I was in medical training, uh, uh, Professor Emeritus was always about 90 years old, so I'm not sure emeritus member is good. But no, um, I think what's going on is that uh, Freedom Caucus members in the Missouri Senate see that year after year, Senate leadership kills some very important uh, priority bills. And in this case, uh, initiative petition reform is very important because year after year, progressive special interests come to Missouri and quite literally for about two to five million dollars, they buy themselves constitutional amendments to the Missouri uh, Constitution. And in this case, um, we are on the eve of potentially having a progressive special interest buy an amendment to put abortion rights in our Constitution at a time when Missouri is a very pro-life state. Uh, Likewise, there are other interest groups looking to uh, put gun control into the Missouri Constitution. So it is critical that um, we pass initiative petition reform now this year. And, uh, you know, time and again, it looks like leadership in the House and in the Senate have killed it. So uh, the uh, Freedom Caucus is taking a stand. It's a tough issue for me only because I don't think anybody really cares, except for the insiders. Now, I understand yeah. that it has an effect on the electorate. There's no doubt. But yeah. I've said this many times. There ain't nobody that gives a rat's you-know-what about this, and nobody that's listening right now who's not inside politics, they don't really understand it. And I think to a certain extent they would say, wait a second, 
and, and I, I get the nuances here. We can talk about some of the different bills because there's one proposal that says, okay, you can't get, uh, you have to get a majority in five of the eight congressional districts, not just a simple mm-hmm. majority mm-hmm. across the state. That's sort of like to a certain set, maybe a miniature electoral college, right? Right. So I, I understand the the differences, the nuances, a, well, yeah, the, the we needs. We are a republic, not a direct democracy, and um, you know that may be hard to understand. But another way of looking at it is, should two major metro areas be able to rewrite the constitution of the state of Missouri? Because that's what happens with a simple majority yeah. vote. Um, and since our last constitution in 1945, there have been something like 60 amendments to our constitution. It's become a glorified statute book. It's really become a joke. It is. And the problem is it's for sale. Yeah. And uh, we, your elected representatives can't go back and fix these things. Look, I, and I'm on the record. Uh, you can go back. You know, I, I split my time in Missouri just a little bit. I was here till 1996 and then I left and was in Wisconsin. But I remember talking about this process in the 80s and in yes. the 90s yes. about how messed up it was yes. because I've always felt that it's a system that's abused, right? It should, yes, it should be much more difficult to amend our Constitution. Um, to look at it another way, only half of states have an initiative petition process at all. Fewer than that. Is that true? Only half Yeah, o- only half at all. Yeah. And um, only about half of those uh, have a process that doesn't involve the legislature, and even fewer than those, I think only about eight, can a simple majority vote amend the Constitution. So, what would so you we're favor really here? an outlier. What, what, because there's different there's different plans. Yeah. Interestingly enough, yeah. they're being shepherded in the legislature right yeah. now by one of your opponents in the congressional race, Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman. But do you favor a particular plan? Yeah, I really uh, like the idea of, of representation of the whole state, similar to the Electoral College. And I think uh, a concurrent majorities of the voters, uh, over 50 percent plus one of the voters, plus a majority of the congressional races, congressional districts is what I would favor. But it seems like, uh, Bob, that Caleb Robin, the Senate president and, you know, Cindy Laughlin, who is second in command, they they seem to indicate that they were always going to do IP reform, but they didn't like the way that the Freedom Caucus bill and the others were trying to lay the gauntlet down and cause them to not take care of some of the other business. Yeah. Well, I filed initiative petition reform five years in a row in the Missouri Senate, and it got killed on behalf of special interests every single year. So I don't buy that for a second. So many things uh, in the Missouri Senate were told, we'll do it the last week of session. We can't cut off debate with the Democrats, and they, it just never gets done. A- ask the agricultural groups about an eminent domain bill that they wanted passed a few years back um, Is it because over the, and over they, again. They run the clock out, or they that's run the part clock of the strategy? Out. They run the clock out. Early on, you get told, well, we can't um, we can't uh, PQ, you know, cut off the Democrats debating. At the same time, they'll make freedom caucusers, conservative caucusers stand on the floor for 20 hours. They don't do that to the Democrats. Unfortunately, what's happened is in the Missouri Senate, you have a ruling coalition of liberal Republicans plus Democrats. Unfortunately, Senate leadership rather deal with the Democrats then deal with the Republican so you, you, conservatives. Is, see, I don't like I don't like the Rhino game. You you love the Rhino game. No, Other I'm people, not. Now I'm I think not, you kind of do. I'm not, I'm, well, you call them liberal Republicans. You you. Well, Caleb Brown is a liberal Republican. Well, I would probably agree with that. Okay, so yeah. I'm going to rate that statement as truth. But but they're not all liberal Republicans. And let's let's take this to Congress a little bit because if Bob Onder is elected from the third congressional district in Missouri, that's a very red district, right? We it know is. that he will be serving with. Um, 
And gosh, I hope it's a majority, Bob. I really yeah. do because it's if it's be not, close. you got a problem, right? It's close now. But let's say let's say it's a majority. Let's say right. it's a narrow majority. You've got Republicans that you call them liberal Republicans, but they're Republicans that won districts in California, in right. New York, and in other states that are not red like Missouri. So you got to right. work with other people right. that. I still think they're Republicans. I still think that they would prioritize fiscal issues, things along those lines. Maybe they're not as deep red as people in the third district, but you still got to work with them. Yeah. Well, the distinction there, and it's a very good one, is that we supposedly have super majorities, two thirds of our legislature. Republicans. Um, you do have a very no, narrow majority in the in U.S. The Congress. Yeah. In the U.S. Congress. And so, and I would say the great majority of those. Republicans would support border security, do not like the fact that up to two or 300,000 illegal immigrants a month cross our southern border, along with it, fentanyl and human trafficking, who don't like the reckless overspending of the Biden administration that's resulted in record inflation, uh, record high cost of living. The average family spends $11,000 more today to afford the same standard of living as the day Biden took office. And the average Republican in the uh, U.S. Congress does not like the Biden war on affordable energy with skyrocketing rocketing, uh, gas prices and us having to go to Middle East dictators to beg for oil. I think that's something that almost every Republican and quite a few uh, sensible Democrats would agree on. Do you think in this particular race, and I don't know how many people are going to get in because yeah. we, we still think maybe someone from mid-Missouri, you have Senator Coleman who's in, she's down closer to, to Jeffco. I don't even know. I'm sure you don't want to give um, attention to people who have already been mentioned in this race. But where, where are you going to stand out? Because this is where I think you're going to try to, and I think every candidate in the primary will try to out-conservative the next person, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. more conservative than yeah. this person. Yeah. Is that is you that know, the strategy? I, I, well, look, I think, um, you know, yeah, I'm not going to comment on a particular opponent, but I think if we have an opponent out of the legislature, uh, there will be people who have carried welfare expansion bills that have voted for Obamacare, Medicaid expansion, Biden care, Medicaid expansion, expanded TANF foods, TANF. Welfare checks, expanded food stamps. Um, I think we will have a, a contrast between uh, more uh, liberal Republicans and a more conservative Republican like myself. Do, do you think that – does Bob Onder think that the word compromise is a dirty word? Oh, not at all. Sometimes you have to compromise. Now, it is sometimes frustrating, though, um, to see um, – uh, to see a, uh, a a let's say a Republican House not pass the best budget bill they can. Sure, you've got to compromise eventually with Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden. You can't get everything you want, but sometimes I think we uh, we negotiate with ourselves. Sometimes I think we give up the high ground before we right. even start but, but negotiating. Even, even in the situation with the legislature, if you know, on the one hand, you got Eigel and those guys being painted as obstructionists. Some people don't like that uh, description. I think they can be obstructionists from time to time. But you're either going to here's the question, I guess, and this is more for Bill, not for you, because there was somebody that that chimed in on. Twitter last week when all this was going on yeah. with the Chaos Caucus, yeah. and they said, give them hell, Bill, right? Yeah. Well, from my perspective, yeah. and I've known you guys for a long time, I've known yeah. you yeah. and Bill, yeah. uh, I think Bill's been giving him hell for a long time. But what has he accomplished? You can yeah. give him hell, but what are you doing that's actually getting things across the finish line? I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will tell you, Mark, that every conservative policy that we have passed, things like the heartbeat bill, like the Second Amendment Protection Act, the uh, constitutional carry, um, tax cuts, 
Every single one of those, the conservative caucus in the House and in the Senate had to fight for. We had to fight so that leadership would prioritize it. Many times leadership of both houses in Missouri prioritize all the establishment lobbyist bills. They want everything to run smoothly. But when it comes down to doing the priorities that we were sent there to accomplish, um, many times yeah, the, I, I understand many that. times leadership finds it easier to capitulate to the Democrats rather than to fight. Right. But nobody nobody sent any member of the legislature. I'm sorry. I just feel this way. Nobody went to the ballot box and they said, I'm voting for Bill Eigel or Nick Shore because of IP reform. They just didn't. Yeah. But, so but, I, but, I understand but pro, that this is an but issue, but nobody went and said, oh, I can't wait till you guys do IP but, reform but, because they don't but, know what it but, is, Bob. But pro-life, Second Amendment, getting wokeness out of education, yeah. cutting taxes, reducing regulation. True. And, 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 but those and, liberal Republicans voted with the other so-called conservative When we force the issue, time and again when we force the issue, it was only when we put pressure on leadership, especially of the Missouri Senate, that uh, the uh, Senate, that that leadership was willing to give us a vote on the Second Amendment Preservation Act. It was only when we filibustered some big pork barrel bill that we were able to get a vote on the heartbeat bill. It, it's happened time and again. No, we've we fought the issues that we were sent to the legislature to pass. Th- those took fights many, many times. Now, afterwards, all the Republicans voted for it and took credit for it, but it was a fight to get those things done. And if it weren't for the conservative caucus and now the freedom caucus, those things wouldn't get done. So how would you deal with this? Let's kind of cross over to some of yeah. these national issues with the border right now. Governor Parson was just at the border. I think it's mm-hmm. outrageous. You know as well as Absolutely. I do that overwhelming numbers of Americans, whether they're Democrat or Republican, think this is Democrats outrageous. agree with us. Absolutely. Right. So the bill, in, and I, I haven't looked at all the particulars. Yeah. I don't know if anyone has. There's some stuff in this bill from the Senate that's certainly has merit, but there's a lot that's uh, gotten some attention that does not have merit. Mike Johnson says it's DOA in the yeah, House. 350 pages of, of sludge. Yeah, this idea that border security only gets triggered after 5,000 illegal aliens a day cross the border. That's 1,825,000 uh, illegal immigrants a year. Well, by the way, it's even I, I highlighted this. It's even more nuanced than that, yeah. which is weird, because the language actually says the 5,000 has to be from either Canadians or Mexicans. And that does not include Honduras or yeah. Venezuela Other or Guatemala. Mexicans, so that's a yes. weird little carve out there. And it gives the uh, president uh, the authority to suspend border enforcement. So if for some reason uh, Secretary Mayorkas would want to enforce the border, which heaven knows he doesn't, but uh, Joe Biden told him not to, well, then you just don't have to follow the law. Um, no, I think I think there there's no need for so a new law. So what's the solution then? To force the enforce the existing law. This is an invasion. Start there, right? This is an invasion, yeah. Mark. You know, I, I agree. In, in 2008, um, I passed and Governor Matt Blunt signed the strongest law in the country uh, to fight illegal immigration. The strongest state law in the country. We banned sanctuary cities. We ended catch and release for illegal aliens. We cracked down on contractors um, who hired illegal aliens. But that's not the problem today. The problem, to as much as, as important as that bill was, as good as it was, as much as Governor Blunt pushed for it, today the problem is the Biden administration is willfully 
letting illegal immigration um, run rampant. Um, seven, probably about seven million illegal aliens since he uh, got into office. It's stunning. It, it really is that that they won't give more attention to this. Uh, what are some of the other issues fiscally? Let me let me get into some of these sure. areas that again people probably their eyes are going to glaze over. Yeah. As a libertarian conservative, my entire life I care about the ridiculous amount of spending that's going on constantly in Washington. I've also, after doing this for four decades, Bob, never really seen it gone in the other direction. So, yeah, that's you, right. you, but you have to address the entitlement programs. Nobody yeah, wants to talk about the entitlement you programs. You do. You do. Now, in uh, in last last year, uh, the Republican Congress, despite their very narrow margins, passed the Limit, Save, and Grow Act, which would have capped 20, fiscal year 2024 spending at 2022 levels, would have rolled back a lot of Biden pork, like the leftover COVID funds, rolled back a lot of the green energy uh, subsidies that were in the Inflation Reduction Act, would have in, instituted the RAINS Act that would have put a rein in on uh, regulation. Uh, but there's no question uh, that entitlement growth is is an issue. And so what would you do with Social Security? How would, how would you approach that? So Social Security, we've got to be clear, first of all, we've got to honor the promises that have been made uh, to uh, existing uh, existing uh, retirees. Uh, but I think there there is there's a role for private accounts to be sure. Had we you know instituted uh, private accounts a, a decade ago, ago right, or a right. generation 20, ago. 20, decades. We 20 not, years ago, we talked we, about it. We would it. not have the problems we have today. But we have to institute pro-growth policies across the board. Right now, we have debt of $100,000 for every man, woman, and child in the United States. A family of four owns has a mortgage of $400,000, but no house to show for it. Um, we... Um, you know, the, we are we we need to rein in spending, and we need to grow our way out of it. And anti-growth policies like the Biden war on affordable energy are uh, setting us back. Uh, the thousands of new pages of regulation are setting us back. Listen to this from Bill Malusian today. I thought this was interesting, and you could probably play this game with the federal budget in in different ways. But I, I thought this sort of jumped out. He said, "Interesting context." Bill's a Fox reporter, of course. The $60 billion in Ukraine assistance in the Senate deal is larger than the entire budget of the, of the U.S. Corps. Marine Corps. Of the Marine that, Corps. That's well, – this it, is what I said on Twitter. It, that's effed up. It's amazing. It's, Isn't it? It's, tr- it's truly amazing. Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, you know, the uh, the side – and really in terms of border security – it's not that we need extra money. Uh, board, what Just we enforce. Need, what we need for border right. security, the extra resources we need is a, a rounding error. It's penny ca- petty cash in terms of the total federal budget. We need to enforce the existing law. And again, it's been said many times, why do we care more about Ukraine's border than our own border? I think it's a valid question. Bob Onder, thanks for coming into the studio. Thanks I really for appreciate it. It sounds like you are uh, off and running out of the gates here for this congressional race between now and August. Kind of a tight, narrow window. It is. Realistically, it, it's going it to be is. here fast, uh, right? Blaine surprised us six months. Yes. Yeah, so nobody seemed to. That's funny because a lot of times people see this stuff coming, but in this particular case, I think he did surprise a lot of people. You would have been out of coming out of the gate quicker. Bob, thank you. Good to thank see you. Thank you, Mark. All right, take care. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. One of the issues that I didn't ask uh, Senator Andre about or uh, anybody else this afternoon was about sports wagering, a, an issue near and dear to my heart, and they are likely not to do anything about that in the Missouri legislature, but State Rep. Dan Houks will be here tomorrow. He's uh, the person that I think is sponsoring that particular piece of legislation. He'll join us with an update, although I think it'll be a negative one tomorrow afternoon. I have a good audio cut of the day from the mayor of Chicago that we will mock and make fun of here in just a few minutes on 97.1 FM Talk. But first, Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News chief medical correspondent. We're going to talk about some things in particular related to the uh, the drug situation with the Kansas City Chiefs fans and fentanyl. But first, Dr. Siegel, thank you for making time. I know it's been a, a busy afternoon, hasn't it? Well, because because of the king announcing that he has cancer, the king of England, not the king of America, the king of England. <laughs> well, anyway. and, you know, this, I don't want to be mean because I think there's some lessons here for people, depending on what type of cancer. But, man, I, I just don't care. Like, I, I know a lot of people care, but it's not something that resonates with me. Is that mean? Am I just being mean now? No, I, I, I think we've got a lot of problems here. Uh, I think the reason that people follow the royals so closely is because they like a state of a state of pageantry. I'm going to disagree with you, Mark, because they like a state of pageantry and and an air of um, I don't know what that uh, an air of uh, aristocracy that goes beyond the current situation of everyone at each other's throat. It, it's a memory of an earlier time, and of course, the king did help somewhat during World War II. So, you know, they haven't done much in a couple hundred years, but, but they did help during World War II to some extent. I, I, think, I think it's pageantry to get, help people escape. I think you're right. Look, I don't want to be misunderstood. I love my friends from across the pond. London is one of my favorite cities on the planet. But, man, when I, you know, people get into the monarchy so much, whether it's the weddings or the gossip and now the, the health issues that dominate. And we hope he's okay. I'll just say that because he's really, realistically, he's not that old. I mean, he's 76, right? 75, but he's not that old, but over 75 is about one-third of all cancers in men. And cancers in men, we're talking skin, of course, prostate, lung, colon, and then the one I think this is, which is bladder. I think this is bladder. And why do you think that? What's that based on? It's not based on any inside information. It's based on the idea that there's no outside evidence other than that he was having this procedure. Well, during this procedure, you can find bladder cancer, by the way. You could think you're dealing with the prostate and cut, cut it out, and it ends up being bladder cancer. You could actually, it's right next to the blood. The yeah. bladder is right next to the prostate, or you could find it incidentally and scrape it, in, or, or, or you could find it on a pathology, and you could actually do a surgery at, right at that time. So they're being coy here. In my read of this, they're saying it is not 
they're not thinking of further surgery. Well, but he may have had it already while he, they were doing that. And then they go ahead and they give him BCG, which is kind of an inactivated bacteria that's a lot like TB. And that works. That works. So if they got this early and they give him BCG, there's over a 90% chance of a cure here. He'll keep getting it for a year or two or more. But and that's again, I am speculating, but I'm putting together facts like Sherlock Holmes. Right. Wasn't he a physician? Yeah, I think so. Dr. Mark Siegel with us. You know, we're four hours away from Kansas City and this whole story about the Chiefs fans sort of got to us uh, maybe in the same time it took to get to the rest of the country because we were not as dialed in here in St. Louis. Such a bizarre story. Then late last week, I guess we got some toxicology results, but even then, I don't think it was covered very much. So did we find that now these guys died from cocaine and fentanyl? Are we still in an area where we still have some questions, Dr. Siegel? What do we know? I don't, we don't have all the answers. We have the family saying that, that, and this is near your neck of the woods, and one of the problems with Missouri right now is that we're seeing a lot of, uh, uh, it's, there's a big increase going on in fentanyl. And, and, and a big increase going on in multi-drug. Multi There's a big epidemic in the United States right now, 50 times more. It's called the fourth wave of the opioid epidemic is opioids laced with other things. In this case, fentanyl laced pre presumably with cocaine. It's also laced many times with methamphetamine. I think there might have been, T not in this case, but there might have been THC here. Multi-drug is becoming more more the way to, that everyone's going here, which is very, very dangerous because drug dealers and patients and drug dealers and drug recipients think that, oh, you know, the cocaine revs you up and you need the fentanyl to calm you down. Actually, both of them are toxic to the heart. The, the fentanyl uh, depresses heart function and the cocaine stimulates the heart and you could end up more easily with a cardiac arrest with, the, with that combination. I think that if the family's right, that they had three times the lethal dose, if that's correct, if the final autopsy report confirms that, then you have your cause of death right there. The fact that they're in the cold, they weren't, it wasn't subs, I mean, it was like low 30s that night, I think. That slows the rate with which the body metabolizes these drugs. Is fentanyl, is the danger in fentanyl, I think there's multifaceted, but is it is it instantaneously addictive or is it just so deadly that a small amount can kill you? Or is it a combination between the two? Well, it's both addictive and, and a small amount can kill you. Two milligrams can kill you. It's 100 times more powerful than morphine, 50 times more powerful than heroin. We, we, we went to the major leagues on this stuff. And I mentioned Kansas City, I mean, you know, and Missouri, 845 uh, drug overdose deaths in Kansas City in the last five years alone. And, and you look around the country, it's West Virginia, Tennessee, uh, Louisiana. Uh, those are the, the three big states. Cities, you got Baltimore is, is the worst, and Philadelphia is bad. But Kansas City is getting up there. And, well, and How long did, you know, somebody told me, you tell me if this is right, that with fentanyl, for example, if you have to detox on fentanyl, some of these kids, it takes, you know, longer than just a short period, like 30 days to detox. And I've heard stories where these kids, young kids, 18, 19, maybe even younger than that, they're in this detox situation multiple times because they can't get away from this stuff. Well, that's the problem, because they don't think that they're going to die, right? And they don't think that, and they, and they take plenty of risks, and then they can't get off it. Yeah. And each time is another risk of death. And by the way, we talk about Narcan all the time, but this stuff's so powerful and it lasts so long that you'd have to be giving repeated dose of Narcan even to make it to the hospital. In the hospital, we use Narcan drips. We put them on intravenous Narcan. 
I mean, it's a real, real dangerous situation. And the, the drug cartels, of course, are appealing, are appealing to our youth. They're using high school students to sell the stuff. It's being sold on the Internet. It's being made in areas that used to be poppy fields, you know, with the two major cartels in Mexico, fueled by supplies coming from China. Yeah, and, and you then know, across I, the border it goes. Across the border it goes. The poorest border. Do you feel? You know, we've been talking about this for a while. Do you feel we're te- to the point now where maybe? I, mean, I don't know what can be done. Look, we've been fighting this drug war for a long time, so I don't know what the realistic approach would be to reducing the danger here. But it seems to be one of those things that we all know, and maybe we have family members, friends, you know, that have been affected by this, uh, and then we don't have solutions. It doesn't seem like anything goes in the other direction, Doctor Siegel. Well, we started to restrict physician uh, prescribing by making them log in at each state every time they do an opioid prescription or a restricted drug. But I was surprised to see the numbers recently. They're down, but they're not as down as as much as I want. So I I, I won't say that doctors are fueling this, but they certainly were, and and they're certainly still contributing to it. And, you know, again, even without physicians writing for opioids, we, we have an enormous problem. But Doc- I think it's a really overused drug to begin with. I think that there's that there, you get used to the idea that you need it or a surgeon or an orthopedist thinks that they have to use it. But I, I've seen pain specialists who never prescribe this stuff, and patients do just as well. And there are, are alternatives, and there are newer ones coming out. I think the best thing you can do is not addict somebody in the first place. Yeah, it's frightening. Dr. Mark Siegel, always great to have you on here in St. Louis. I really appreciate it. I know you were busy today, and we'll talk again. Thank you, Dr. Siegel. Great to be with you, Mark. Thanks. Audio cut of the day, coming up next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Sue, I don't think we're quite there, but we're not too far away here in a few weeks from looking out of these windows to the west from where we sit here at Park Pacific and seeing a little bit more daylight. Oh, I cannot wait. If you look at the sky, we have I have the blinds down, but you can still see a little light, and it's it's happening. So we're heading in the right direction. By the way, we have temperatures that certainly point us in that right direction. It looks like this is going to hang on up until the weekend through Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is on Saturday. You know, nice weather means a lot more puke on the uh, streets because you'll have more participation. But then I think Sunday it's going to start to get cold, like into the 40s again next week, back into the uh, 20s. But right now, a beautiful forecast for the next couple of days. Tomorrow, by the way, looks like a real good day to play hooky. Oh, and if you need a doctor's sunshine. note, I can provide one <laughs> for you. I appreciate that. Have you seen, I'm going to do audio cut of the day here, but let me let me toss in a couple of supplemental audio bites here before we wrap up the show on this Monday night. I mean, this polling that keeps coming out on the presidential race, on the Biden administration, you know, more of the generic ballot type polling. When you talk to voters across the country, their confidence in Trump versus their confidence in Biden. The numbers for Biden are just Brutal. Just brutal. This is an NBC News poll. I have a little audio here from Steve Kornacki, who was on Meet the Press, talking about this yesterday. Biden trails Trump on major policy and personal comparisons, including by more than 20 points on which candidate would better handle the economy. 20 points. Biden's deficit versus Trump on handling immigration is even more than that, 30 points, which really does not surprise me because this president is, now I think Senator John Kennedy kind of 
sums it up the best. He's just awful at what he does, and there's no competency. So here's Kornacki. Let's just start with the bottom line. When you ask folks, hey, if it's the general election and it's Trump versus Biden in our poll, Donald Trump now leads Joe Biden by five points. Compare that to the last time we polled back in November. Trump was ahead then, but it was only by two points. It's even more significant when you look at it this way. Over time, we have been testing for five years now, going back to 2019, a Biden-Trump matchup. Remember, 2019, 2020, Joe Biden led. He led big in every single one of our polls. For the first time in November, Donald Trump pulled ahead in our poll, and now at five points, this is the biggest lead NBC has ever had in 16 polls for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. So if you go back, I just wanted to do this here as an experiment. If you go back to uh, 2020, you start, I can even go back to this time of the year. You, you won't have uh, you know, a period where these two guys were that that gapped in the presidential race because it's usually by, you know, two, three, four points. Now, this is five plus points. So it's a little different. And you can hear the fear on the part of the legacy media like at NBC. He is the incumbent, Joe Biden. We ask voters, what do you think of the job he's doing? And look at that, Kristen, 37 percent approve and now 60 percent disapprove. And we should say that is the lowest approval rating since former President George W. Bush's second term. Yeah, and it's put that in further context, too. Bush in his second term wasn't running for re-election. Yeah. Here's the presidents who were running for re-election in our poll starting their re-election year. What was their approval rating? Bush was over 50. He won. Obama was almost at 50. He won. Trump, four years ago, was 46. He lost. Look how low Biden's number is compared to those predecessors at this point. Yeah, so I want to correct something here because, uh, in fact, if you go back to 2020, I had the wrong uh, polling that was pulled up. Throughout the year in 2020, you'll find that Biden did have pretty big leads over the course of the entire year. Sometimes it was plus two, plus three, but at times it was up to 10 points, between seven and 10 points. Now, I bring it up because... You, you only and if I look at the 2020 polling, I see one poll through the entire year. I don't know if it was an outlier or what, but there's a Rasmussen poll from September of 2020, which has Trump up by one. That's the only time he had the lead in any polling from that year. Now, the president likes to say the former president likes to say he doesn't like polling. Right. He doesn't believe right. in polling. Well, he believes in it when it favors him. And right now it favors him a lot. Border security, for example. Here's another little snapshot here. The issues that are driving this too, the economy, no surprise, we've been talking about it, but look at that advantage for Trump, 22 points, wow. and securing the border here, folks, a very important Trump with a 35-point advantage. The economy is so striking, Steve, because jobs are up, inflation is down, voters aren't giving him credit for that, clearly. Yeah, there are a couple areas in here, I think, where Democrats see potential opportunities to grow Biden's support. Certainly, they are hoping the economy Folks change their perceptions of it and start rewarding Biden for it. That's what they're hoping, certainly. So I, I don't know how much they're going to hope before some of this turns around because the policies aren't changing. He's not going to be able to fix the border situation. The economy is very unique to me because there are good economic numbers. I have to acknowledge them. We had some good growth, and uh, inflation is being kept in check. That doesn't mean it's still not out of control. On the other hand, if you just look, Steve Butts and I, State Rep Steve Butts and I, kind of go back in a little text string because he's a big proponent of what Bidenomics has become. And I I admit that there's some things that are happening that are certainly a positive sign on employment's low. However, the thing that I'm looking at is credit card debt is way, way high right now. Again, record highs and 
tech companies in particular are laying off a lot of people. So the and economy, my groceries are still outrageous. Oh, absolutely, people feel that. You can yes. say anything you want about inflation not growing as much as it was a year ago. It doesn't matter because things still went up, and then you have Correct. shrinkflation, all the things that voters feel. So that, that polling is rather stark, and the Democrat operatives out there, they know it. How they can turn it around, I have no idea. I guess it's going to all be focused on abortion. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. All right, I, I'm going to try to fit two in here. This is Mayor Brandon Johnson in Chicago. They're talking about border security in Chicago because they have so many migrants up there that are taking over places that taxpayers in Chicago would like to use, like parks, et cetera, the airport at uh, O'Hare International. So he kind of went off. So you're going to love this one on a tangent here. I have children who attend schools who have soccer games, y'all. You know, you all are asking me as if I'm not a parent in this city. I get it. I'm mayor. I get it. But you're asking me to give you a date. And I have to court. Do you understand that you have not had a mayor like me? I get that. I have a wife. I have children. They have schedules. And plus, we still have public safety that we have to address. We still have the unhoused that we have to address. I still have a budget that I have to address. And I'm doing all of that with a black wife raising three black children on the west side of the city of Chicago. I am going to the border as soon as possible. Well, I mean, if we're being honest here, I'm going to have to give uh, Mayor Johnson a little leeway here. He's certainly the first mayor that's ever had children or, you know, an African-American. He had to point out the race card there because, you know, she has particular challenges. It's unbelievable. that That's his response. They just keep getting worse in Chicago. Every time you think you might have an upgrade, it doesn't go that way. And then how about this in San Francisco? There's a Bay Area school district out there that has spent $250,000 on an organization that is literally called Woke Kindergarten. Woke Kindergarten was brought in to train teachers to disrupt racism and remove barriers to learning, right? Hayward Elementary School trying to boost low test scores. They're spending $250,000 in federal money. Well, this is the person who runs Woke kindergarten. You're not going to believe this. This is the founder. Check this out. Yes, everyone, the rumors are true. I am anti-Israel. I am pro-Palestine. And I am 100% 10 toes down anti-Israel. I believe Israel has no right to exist. I believe the United States has no right to exist. I believe every settler colony who has committed genocide against native peoples, against indigenous people, has no right to exist. Well, she wouldn't really be living anywhere on the planet, I don't think. But that's, oh my. isn't that awesome? No, there they're is using, nowhere. They're using federal tax money to push that nonsense in schools uh, in San Francisco. There's your audio cut of the day. Cuts, if you will. Talk tomorrow. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.